Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History puddle. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Okay, and welcome to the Full Slate Sunday Scaries podcast. I'm your co-host, Cody Darwick, joined in person, a very special live edition of Full Slate podcast by my brother, Tyler Darwick. Tyler. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you doing this uh, at our kitchen table right now. So always fun to do it in person rather than over the phone. Yeah, it, it does bring a special element to it. We get to see each other. We get to bet on the same things. And we had the same lock of the week this week. That hit. Um, but unfortunately, we spent the day yesterday together. Um, not It wasn't unfortunate to be with you, but it was unfortunate um, some of the things we were betting on didn't exactly go our way. Um, I, I, I don't think we should watch college football together. No, it was terrible. Like you said, um, it's always nice to be with you. We don't watch <laughs> college football together really ever, and I don't think we'll ever do it again. It was a really bad day of gambling. We loaded up on the Indiana Hoosiers. That didn't work out well. Uh <laughs> The Memphis over Oregon, which we'll talk about later. So it wasn't a great day. Do I get an IU football minute? Yeah, we'll we'll give you the IU football minute. You convinced me to take – you got to my apartment Saturday morning around, like, I don't know, a little – probably well like 130 and you're like yeah i'm on i'm on iu with the spread money line team total over it felt like we're at craps and you just threw some money on the hard ways like just spread it all out on on any and everything that hits 
and it seemed promising at the start, but I will give you your IU football minute. Um, and three, two, one, go. So they lost to Michigan yesterday, and there's no denying that Michigan's a better team. They're more well-coached. They're more talented. They have more to play for at this point. It's not what upsets me. What upsets me is Tom Allen, who I refuse to call him the head coach. He's a cheerleader. That's all he does on the sidelines. He screams catchphrases. He just jumps up and down. He doesn't provide anything. And what frustrates me is when we play these bigger teams like Ohio State early in the year at home, he hypes up the game so much during the week, went to the basketball game trying to get students to come to the game and I get all that but then you turn around on Saturday and the team doesn't come prepared to play it frustrates the hell out of me it's the same thing every year and everyone that was celebrating the loss last week to Penn State this is my point if you don't win these games it doesn't matter um, the close you know moral victories and how far the programs come at some point it comes down to wins and losses until you win a game like this it doesn't mean shit Wow, that was pretty good. For, uh, 58 seconds on the ball. I didn't even have to cut you off. Yeah, were you, had, Is that I, what you were practicing in the bathroom upstairs? <laughs> I don't think I was practicing anything up there. <laughs> um, but like you said, kind of loaded up on Indiana. It was like craps. If the number was on eight, you're on the pass line, behind the pass line, and double four, trying to hit always and everything crapped out. And I never really do bet on Indiana. Um, so yesterday was the first time in a while I've done it this season and the one that hurt the most was really the team totals 21 and a half they opened the game went right down the field scored they scored their second touchdown I believe like early in the second quarter so it seemed like it was going to be a back and forth game and we're going to hit it pretty easily they slowed down Michigan's defense clamped down on the short passing game and it was kind of over from there so definitely frustrating um, and yeah that was my IU football minute so they have Purdue coming up next week Hopefully they win that game, and to get to eight wins would be nice. But still, they still haven't beaten anybody worth mentioning. Their best win right now is Nebraska, who like may or may not get into a bowl game. Yeah, and and your moral victory parade tweet went unre- unresponded to by assembly call, so TBD on whether or not uh, you, you're blocked by him. Um, but I guess, <laughs> guess we'll find out over the course of the uh, next couple of weeks. Um, my Sunday scariest moment is... Post IU football loss, we put in, um, actually, in the middle of that game, we put in a nice little parlay of the first quarter over of Maryland, Nebraska, hit swimmingly. And then over in Memphis, USF, you said, Memphis, they always score a lot. Okay, sure. Good enough for me. So we put in that one. Um, and the score in that game was uh, it was 42 to 17. The over was 60. So we were at 59 with about. 12 minutes to go in that game. Connor Adair on Memphis scored with 11.57 to go in the fourth. And we just slowly sat on my couch and watched as these teams traded punts and stalled out drives for the next 12 minutes of that game. Um, and so that that just felt like a, a turning point in the weekend. Um, so that, that, was, that was my Sunday scariest moment, just having to witness that with you and realize that, you know, we're just not meant to watch college football together. Yeah, it was definitely tough. It just, it died. It was at the point, it was 49 to 10, actually, Memphis. So Sorry, 49 to 10. Memphis yeah. did their part. USF couldn't do anything. And it was just at the point in the game where, like, the backups are in. They're not throwing the ball. It's just running, punts, run, punts. So it was a slow death. And after that, we kind of went on tilt um, and were chasing some other things that didn't really work out for us. So it was definitely a tough college football Saturday for us. Uh, my Sunday scariest moment, it wasn't IU football, something else. Mm-hmm. Um, we have five weeks in the NFL season left, a couple games still to go this week, but after that, five games left. And my Sunday scariest moment 
Is Jameis Winston's time as an NFL starter, I think, consistently week in, week out, is coming to end. And it makes me really sad. Bill Simmons tweeted... Fresh off his win, though, today. I know. Bill Simmons tweeted today, and I completely agree with him. Outside of Lamar, Jameis might be the most exciting player to watch, and I don't think that's a crazy thing. Just the super highs you get watching him, the super lows are just incredible. He starts the game, he throws an awful interception, <laughs> then the Bucks get the ball right back, and he throws a 70-yard touchdown, like perfect pass to Chris Godwin. So you get all these great moments with Jameis. He has over 100 career turnovers in his career, and I heard he's like on pace, or he's like might break the turnover record through by five Jake, seasons. Jake Plummer. Yeah, by Plummer. So that's a really fun record to watch. So I'm really sad that probably next year, Jameis, maybe some team will take a flyer on him that needs a QB. But Town is still there. Town is still there. I have his stats up on ESPN, and on the side they have kind of videos related to what you're looking at. So the top related video to Jameis is Marcus Spears says, Winston is a top five quarterback when he brings his best, which is just like Jameis in a nutshell. You get so tantalized by those great moments you have, and then he turns around and throws an awful interception. And I saw today he threw his 20th interception, which puts him in a class with Jay Collar as the only two guys in the last 20 years who have 20 interceptions in their first 11 games of a season. So Yikes. I'm going to miss Jameis. It makes me sad. So that was my Sunday scariest moment kind of watching that game today. Yeah, it was great because I saw Cousin Sal tweeted before the game basically like a prop bet about Jameis to throw a pick. I think it was like minus 220. He's like, just bet on this. It'll cash by 1.16 p.m. And we're on the train back to New Jersey watching Red Zone on my phone. It came up uh, Tampa Bay alert. Obviously, Jameis throws the pick at 112. So he, he even uh, impressed everyone there. But yeah, I mean, that game in general, I don't think we're going to talk about it too much, but just a classic game between the Bucks and Falcons where I mean, we, I, I thought the Falcons were going to show up. and like, okay, Falcons are kind of getting things together here. They lay a dud at home. The Bucks come in. These are two teams that are just, unless you're going to bet on the over, it's just kind of stay away from the spread. I think from here on out, um, that would be my, my advice to any bettors out there. And actually, this one actually had a kind of crazy ending for anyone who did bet the over. Got legs late. Um, Tampa Bay, I think Vita Bay, or they had a defensive touchdown. Sue. It was Sue. Yeah, Sue had a defensive touchdown, and then Matt Schaub led the troops um, for Atlanta down the field. He threw a late touchdown uh, for the over to Calvin Ridley. Um, so congrats to anyone who hit that. The Bucks, I think, at this point are, I believe, like 9-2 and two against the spread. Uh, over under, um, so they continue to to do well there. But the actual like games today, I think let's start with Panthers Saints. But like, since we got three great primetime games, the actual quality of the games today were kind of lacking a lot of matchups that leave you being like, why is anyone watching this unless you actually bet on it? Um, but the Saints pulled this one out, 34-31. Uh, Drew Brees put together a monster game. Um, I mean, this kind of game, Teddy Bridgewater, maybe he could have done the same thing, but starting to buy that that take might be wrong. Uh, he went 30 for 39, 311, um, three touchdowns, one interception. And, I mean, you got to give the Panthers credit. They go down 14 nothing in New Orleans off the last couple weeks that have been a little bit – they, lo- they obviously lost to Green Bay, and then last week lay an egg. Um, give Kyle Allen some credit. He actually looked good in this game. Again, like he's very hit or miss, but I think I'm overall. I think I'm in on Kyle Allen. Like he's, he's a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, I think Cole always be a guy who could be like. I don't know if he's going to be a long term starter. I think if Cam is healthy next year, which is a big if, but 
he could stay around in the league a while and win you a couple games. But yeah, like you said, they went down 14 nothing. It felt like the Saints were kind of going to run away with it, blow them out. And the Panthers just kept hanging around, hanging around. And you check the score, the Saints would go up two scores, Carolina would come right back. And then the game was tied. Bruce threw a really bad interception. Carolina had the ball with a chance to score a touchdown. They went on third down, or yeah, I think it was on third down, incomplete. Then Ron Rivera challenges if there was PI on it. They overturn it in New Orleans, which is brutal. Which is brutal for them. The, the rule they wanted implemented backfires against them. So that's pretty classic. They can score after they get the new set of downs. They go to kick a 28-yard field goal, and Joey Sly, who's been really good this year. Uh, as their kicker and this is a 28 yarder to give them the lead and then drew Brees, just like what he's been doing for his entire career feels like rinse wash and repeat gets the ball with a chance to win the game at the end takes him right down the field finds michael thomas for a big play and will lots kicks a game winner so this is a huge win for the saints as 49er fans we were rooting for the panthers hoping they could pull it out because that's huge for seeding uh in the nfc but this was a big win for the saints um and yeah drew Brees played well so that teddy bridgewater take you had was wrong i was right and Mm. then the thing that's weird about the saints is alvin kamar he did have nine catches but still feels like something might be wrong with him he just hasn't had that same impact he's had this far in his career this season sean payton just maybe it is still the lingering injury there but like he just he got 11 carries nine receptions 20 20 touches just Never feel, like it feels like he should get the ball at least one to two times every single possession. Him and Michael Thomas. Um, but yeah, I mean they they do enough to win the game. Carolina covers, and yeah, like you said, Joey Sly, someone who's been really good as a rookie kicker for Carolina. I think there is something to do with just being a kicker for the Panthers. I remember last year, and Graham Gano got Grandpa Billy's bum the week a couple of times. Um, he misses a gimme, and going one for three on extra points is just so brutal. I mean. This game, especially for the Panthers, held so much weight. If they wanted any chance at staying in that uh, playoff picture in the NFC, they had to win this one. They lose. They're now 5-6. and six. I think it's safe to say their their playoff hopes are done, but still like a tough team. Like I know the, I think the Seahawks still have them on the slate. Um, the Colts do, who uh, we, we would like their uh, wins under to hit. So I think they're going to continue to be a solid team and be 8-8 eight and eight and I mean, Christian McCaffrey just week in, week out. This guy's a stud. He, he ran. He only ran for the Saints. D actually did a decent job on him uh, rushing wise. Twenty two carries, sixty four yards. He still had a touchdown though. But then again, he always gets his in the past game. Nine catches, sixty nine yards, and a touchdown there. Um, I feel I feel like he's almost a little bit underappreciated. Like how good of a season he's actually having. Yeah, I think it's just Carolina's kind of faded the last few weeks, and people are forgetting maybe. But in a game like this with Kamara and McCaffrey, these were arguably the top two guys coming into fantasy this year. Obviously, Saquon, who's really disappointed and been actually terrible. I uh, have him in one league. But like you see the way the Panthers use McCaffrey, how he's touching the ball all the time, and their offense revolves so much around him, it opens it up for other guys. Then you look at the Saints, and Kamara just this year hasn't had the same impact. You'd think he would get as many touches as McCaffrey because he's almost as talented or maybe even better. I just don't think he's used as much. They obviously have Latavius, Taysom Hill still lingers. And for a team that outside of Michael Thomas doesn't have a great bona fide number two, that's where you'd think Kamara would um, maybe help a little bit more. So maybe they are gearing him up more towards the end of the season in the playoff run. He did have nine catches today. So maybe Sean Payton is just trying to save him, but 
just as like a guy who's had him in fantasy and likes watching him play, he definitely should touch the ball more. But let's move on to another game we want to talk about, another NFC matchup. The Seahawks went into Philadelphia. We talked about it on the Pick'em Pod. It was a weird line. Eagles were favored by one and a half. Uh, when we did the pod by today, it was a Pick'em. A lot of injuries on the Eagles front, but just another game where you watch Carson Wentz and you're uninspired. Um, he, his stats at numbers like aren't. So so misleading. 256 yards, touchdown, two picks. They did have a touchdown at the end. That was kind of garbage time, but five turnovers for the Eagles. Seattle keeps winning. Um, so I I can't stand this Eagles team, but they're still alive. The NFC East never dies. No, and this was like such a fishy line. I saw it all over Twitter. How much uh, the public was all over Seattle. Sportsbooks needed the Eagles, and I mean Carson Wentz. This. Eagles team just like feels like they're playing uninspired. Like this game at home after, I mean, they played the Patriots close, but again, like these two games felt very similar where they just couldn't do anything offensively. They've only scored 19 points last two weeks. Um, once there's just something off there. I, I know he's without, they're without basically all their top receiving options except for Zach Ertz. Um, but other co- other quarterbacks get the job done. Like Russell Wilson continues to make names out of people that I've never heard of. Uh, Malik Turner caught a touchdown today. Like he, he just makes people better. And he actually didn't have – I mean, he was pretty unimpressive. And the Eagles' defense played well. I mean, they sack Wilson six times. But Rashad Penny breaks the long touchdown. And they have the flea flicker play. And, like, that that was enough with the current state of the Eagles' offense. Um, and, and the bottom line is, like, the Eagles – their Super Bowls, the game versus the Cowboys. Like, they're still very much in this thing. Uh, so you can't totally write them off just in that NFC East. It's such a bad division. We obviously wanted Seattle to hopefully lay a dud on the East Coast. But the bottom line is Russell Wilson just wins, and they continue to cover. And as an underdog, I think this is probably, like... They're 10-0. It's 10-0. Ten ten, he's 10-0. He's it's it's tough. Yeah, they've won their last or against the spread ten and out, probably very good straight up. So they continue to roll and yeah, like you said, the Eagles, it all comes down to the game versus the Cowboys. This is such a classic NFC East year where it's only one team getting out of the division. It's gonna be a nine, ten win team and probably whoever's the wild card is probably hoping to get them rather than whoever that three seed may end up being. So Kind of a boring game, like you said. Russell Wilson didn't do a lot, and the Eagles' defense has played really well the last two weeks. You know, they gave up a couple big plays today, but for the most part, they held their own. They kept the Eagles in it. Um, so and, I don't know. And yeah. the thing is, just looking at the remaining schedule, they oh my god, they play at Miami next week, home versus the Giants, at the Redskins. They host the Cowboys second to last week of the season, and then they finish at the Giants. So that's be five and that's easily four wins, potentially five. Um, so they're very much alive and well. But this serves as a nice little segue to get to their division rival, Dallas Cowboys, who did cover the spread. This was six and a half in New England, a game that looked about as miserable as the Redskins 49er game we went to in terms of weather, potentially even worse because it was even colder there in the 30s. A very, a very New England Patriots game. It feels like they always got a couple of big games that it's either snowing or pouring rain, something like that. Um, 
the Pats defense just did enough and special teams. They they had the block punt, which set them up for a touchdown. Uh, New England or uh, Dallas turnover and and they capitalize on it. And that's that's enough for the Patriots. Their defense continues to be incredible. Um, and Jason Garrett with with the big decision. This game actually had a couple different gambling angles. The Cowboys were driving late in the fourth quarter about six minutes ago. They kick a field goal on fourth and seven from about, I think, New England's nine. No, I think it was just from the seven because it was fourth and goal. Oh, it was sorry, I said fourth and goal. Yeah. Um. So they they decide to just kick the field goal. So now they're they're covering, and then the Patriots, uh, basically, uh, they they drive down the field and uh, they have a chance to kick a field goal for the spread on fourth and fifteen, and they don't, um, which was was tough for us in our pick'em pool, but. Kind of, yeah, I mean, the the Cowboys just continue to find a way to lose big games, but they cover. So that's why I tweeted out. I think maybe Jason Garrett owns one of our T-shirts since it says good teams win, great teams cover. And that's what he was playing for here. It has to be investigated if he was betting on the game. So like you said, down seven at that point in the game, just go for the touchdown. If you don't get it, the Patriots are backed up. Your defense has been playing so well the entire game and you, you're going to need a touchdown at some point. So why not just give your offense another chance? That was maybe the closest you're going to get, and that obviously ended up happening. I mean, they outgained the Patriots in this game, and just the biggest mistake was the block punt, and the Patriots capitalized on that. The Cowboys didn't score a touchdown in either of their red zone attempts. So it felt like a game that I honestly felt like the Cowboys should have won. They hung around a while. They had the one mistake on the punt. Other than that, I feel like their offense was moving the ball pretty well against the Patriots' defense, but they just couldn't capitalize. And the difference in this game, what has been the difference in close games versus good teams the last 10, 15 years, is Jason Garrett. He just is not a good head coach. Has he been there 15 years? I, I think it's it's probably It's 10. longer than we think. I'm Googling since... I've, we don't have a Tony Reale stat boy. Yeah, I think it's around 10 to 12. He's been there forever. And you look at his record, it's pretty good, but he holds them back. This team is super talented. Their receiving core is deep. They still have Zeke. Tony Pollard's a good player. The defense is really talented as well. And what just continues to hold this team back is the coaching. If you flipped these two teams and the Cowboys had Bill Belichick, they would be the best team in the NFL, I think. They're, they're super talented. Jason Garrett continues to hold them back, and he doesn't even do anything on the sideline. He literally just stands there. He doesn't call plays. He, he doesn't call timeouts. He doesn't call timeouts. <laughs> he, he held on to all the first-half timeouts and looked like he was going to hold on to the second-half timeouts. Um, he d- doesn't even really clap anymore. I think he's become woke on the cl- how his nickname's a clapper. So I, I really do think this could be his last year because this team continues to disappoint. And like you said, the- this division is going to come down to the game versus the Eagles in Philadelphia. So say they lose that game, miss out on the playoffs, and there's a lot of money invested in this team with Zeke. Dak's going to get a big contract. Guys on the defensive side with Demarcus Lawrence, they're going to need to shake it up. So Jason Garrett, we always say he's on the hot seat, but since 2010, he's been their head coach since 2010 since wade phillips got fired unbelievable that he's lasted that long but i I just think you have to move on from this guy i know jerry jones loves him he won him a game on thanksgiving one year but just time after time he makes these awful decisions in big games and that's what's holding them back because you look at their roster and they're a top i would say top five talented team in the Mm -hmm. nfl they just need someone who's a better head coach. This was uh, Skip Bayless's Super Bowl matchup. He's been tweeting about a nonstop preview of the Super Bowl. I I totally agree. I think the the fact is he's just 
like what more do we need to say? <laughs> we have we have essentially ten years of track record and just looking at the Cowboys schedule, they really could have used this win or the win versus the Vikings because coming up they they host the Bills on Thanksgiving, which they'll probably take care of business at home, but then they go to Chicago, which in you never know on the road. Um then they're home versus the Rams, then at the Eagles, and then home versus the Redskins. So their schedule is, I know they have a one-game lead, but their their other games outside of the matchup versus the Eagles are much, much harder than Phillies. So I don't know. I, I like watching this Cowboys team, so I hope they make it over the Eagles because I'm just sick of watching that team play. But, um, yeah, I... After after the podcast, I think well maybe did speak about it on the podcast, but like I was kind of intrigued by Cowboys money line. Like I felt like this was going one of two ways that the Pats were going to win and cover, or this was going to be a big Cowboys game, and it was right there. It was it was there for the taking, and they just continue to find ways to squander these these big opportunities yeah it's like i said on the pick em pod they have one game a year where they play a really good team and they're underdogs and they end up winning that game it felt like today could be that opportunity and they had their chances and also the officiating in the game was really bad on the cowboys last drive it was i think it was a tripping is what they ended up calling mm-hmm. on someone on the cowboys offensive line you'll get the replay I don't know where it was. It was definitely not Evett, like, blatant or anything. That really, that really hurt because that took away a first down. Cowboys end up tur- turning it over on down. So, officiating the NFL continues to be terrible this year, and it just, it's just stressful. I mean, the 49ers are playing the Packers in a little bit, so I'm hoping the officiating doesn't have any sort of adverse impact in that game against the 49ers. Cause Given it's the Packers, we all know. We all know how that goes. Yeah, Packers get most of the calls. Um but so it's just frustrating, like watching a game like that between two really good teams where the officials play such a big role in the game. But let's move on to our lock of the week recap. We both had the Jets plus three um, and we had a lot riding on this game, but Jets the, the Jets made bad. it easy. Jets made it easy. The Jets are the Jets are a wagon right now. I don't think they can be stopped. Yeah, this one. I mean, it, it was kind of never in doubt as early in the third quarter, which is a very nice change of pace um, for us, especially just given the way yesterday went. I think this was this was nice for us. I mean, and the Jets, they look good. Their defense was flying around. They were only up. They're up 10 at the half. They had about 14 points taken off the board due to penalties, and it kind of felt like they missed a field goal at the end of the second half. It felt like there's maybe some bad juju coming. Like They, they should have been up more, um, but they like, give them credit they destroyed this Raiders team look like the Raiders were which I didn't even realize this either like we like I like the Jets a lot in this spot Raiders against the spread on the road were bad but the Raiders also play the Chiefs next week um, in Kansas City so a little bit of a look ahead spot as well there Um, but this is kind of the Jets team that we thought they could be before the season when everyone was healthy and clicking Darnold 20 of 29 315 yards two touchdowns they they get like a nice nice assortment of wide receivers kind of contributing and chipping in and the defense flying around so the jets are a team right now they're four and seven their schedule is favorable and they're the kind of team that like they play the ravens in a couple weeks now the ravens could i think it's the week after the ravens play the 49ers it's kind of thing where it's like i don't know this is a team that you don't really want on your schedule right now yeah team that not making the playoffs, but they're going to just continue to play hard and they're talented and they had some bad luck at the beginning of the year and now they're getting healthier and everything's kind of working out for them. This is what I said when I thought they could have made the playoffs when they were one and four, one and five didn't work out. 
to how I expected, but they're kind of showing the signs of the team that we did think they were going to be that could contend for an AFC wild card. I mean, you look at the box score, Jets had 21 first downs, Oakland only had 10, they had double the amount of yards, um, and they just kind of dominated this game. Their defense was flying around the ball. They're, like I said, on the, I think it was the pick on pod, Jamal Adams is such a beast. He's all over the field. He's such a great player. Their defense has a lot of really talented guys. And Darnold is starting to come into his own in the second year. They said him and Gase met a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was after the loss of the yeah, Dolphins. They hashed it out. They hashed, they hashed out whatever. They figured out what they want to do on offense, and they've been clicking since. They scored 34 points again today. So after the rough college football day we had yesterday, this felt super nice where it was easy. They scored, I think it was to start the half. They had a long play, mm-hmm. and then they punched Barrios. it in. Yeah. And then, like, in a blink of an eye, they had a pick six. So they were up big. I was, it was easy. It was fun. It um, was, it was fun. We could put our feet up. We could relax. Nice change of pace. And it felt especially good, this one, because some of the other games I was potentially thinking about for my lock of the week did not hit. So it's always good when that works out, where it's like, oh, the Falcons at home, they're interesting. They're hot right now. Or, like, the Lions in Washington, both those teams suck, but like the Redskins are aren't even a real NFL franchise. But luckily, luckily we uh, steered clear of some of those some of those landmines, and this was this was a nice easy victory. Yeah, like you said, I think the Raiders were definitely looking ahead to the Chiefs game. They said it midway through the game, and I was like, okay, that makes sense. Coming East Coast, playing the Jets early star, like a game you're not. Bad weather. Bad weather. You're not really getting amped up for it, and just a really bad game for Derek Carr. They pulled him in the third quarter, just went is out of hand, and no reason to risk any injury or anything like that, but really bad game. And do you know who the sixth seed in the AFC is right now in the playoffs? Right now? Probably the Steelers. Yeah, it's the Steelers, which feels... Crazy, because who did they lose to? They lost to the Browns mm-hmm. um, a week and a half ago, and they benched Mason Rudolph today. He's terrible, like I said, when we were ta- recapping the fight versus the Browns on Thursday night. What that really took away from is that Mason Rudolph is really bad. They brought in Devlin Hodges. He, he got their offense going a little bit. Yeah, the duck whistler who, so, who ruined my uh, lock of the week. Yeah, so I would assume he's going to be the starting QB moving forward. But So the Steelers are the sixth seed right now. You have the Raiders. Ugh. Then the Colts and the Titans at six and five. The Browns still hanging in there at five and six. They're not, and they're, I mean, they're game out. Mm-hmm. So they're still alive, which is crazy to think. So whoever gets that six seed is going to be pretty terrible. Um, you know, the Texans are sitting in the three spot right now. So from them, I'm hoping it's the Steelers because the Titans, a team we hate and crap on a lot, they look really good right now with Tannehill in making the change from Mariota, their offense is clicking. They put up over 40 against Jacksonville today and kind of just blew them out. Um, So Tennessee is kind of that team right now that's pretty hot that no one's talking about. Yeah, yeah. And no one will continue to talk about them. Like, even if they, was a couple years ago, they made the playoffs, they won a playoff game, and, like, whatever. I I think, uh, I hope the Steelers don't make it. I don't want to have to watch any more of them than I have to at this point. Just such like a boring defensive minded team. Sorry to Alex, our producer, diehard Steeler fan. And Hey, we were, we were wrong on that Minka Fitzpatrick trade. That's, that's more than worked out for them. They're six and five. They're in the mix and he's a big time, uh, defensive player that has really helped change your season. Um, I hope of these kind of teams cause 
to me, the Bills and the Steelers are two very similar teams in terms of the kind of uh, the game they play. I, I hope we get the Raiders in there. I think that would be the most fun element, just getting John Gruden in a playoff game. They look terrible today, but even the Browns have become entertaining. Like I, Any of those options over just not the Titans or Steelers, please. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the NFL. The Raiders were rolling coming into this week. They were favored on the road. A lot of people probably thought they would roll over them, and the Jets just kind of destroy them. And then next week they play the Chiefs. Like, just week to week, you don't know what you're going to get. And then the Browns, I would not write off. They play at Pittsburgh next week. That's going to be a monster game. game. That's going to be very chippy. So if the Browns... (laughs) I can't believe they play each other already. Two times in three weeks. Yeah, that's going to be great. That's going to be wild. It's going to be a big atmosphere. And their schedule is super favorable. It was talked about all year. I never really looked at it. Now looking at it at the Steelers, home Bengals at Cardinals, which I guess is an easy game. But they do have some winnable games, so they're not dead yet. That would just be fun to see them get into playoffs just because of all the hype that was around them and all the shenanigans that go on. But let's take a quick break, and we're going to record our Grandpa Billy Bum of the Week segment and recap the 49er Packer game after Sunday Night Football. So hopefully we're so like a three and a half hour break, but yeah, yeah. So hope hopefully we're uh, in good spirits when we return. All right, we are back. 11:20 Eastern. Just got watching the 49ers dominate Packers on Sunday Night Football, 37-8. And when we stopped recording earlier, Cody, I was very that this was going to be a miserable Sunday scary segment the 49ers would lose but that wasn't the case they dominated tonight were kind of your takeaways yeah well one I want to thank you for for being up so late I know you're dealing with a time difference so uh, we don't we don't talk about that enough but yeah I was also nervous just leaving this open-ended to the fact that we we were gonna talk about this game grandpa Billy's bum of the week till after the 49ers game but I mean, they got off to a hot start. Uh, they sack Rodgers on the first possession. He fumbles. They kind of couldn't tell if he was down or not, but whatever. They get benefit of the doubt there. They punch it in and go up 10 nothing real quick. And, they, I mean, they dominated the first, say, like 75% of the first half, and they were only up 13 nothing. It felt like it should have been more. They couldn't convert on a couple of uh, possessions deep in the Packers zone. But, I mean, they get the ball back with, under like a few minutes to go they basically i think the two minute they stopped the packers right before the two minute warning in the first half jimmy g hits debo on a long 42 yard touchdown and they go up 20 nothing which was incredible and then they stop the packers again get the ball back another three so you're feeling really good there um but this was, I think, the most complete game they've played this year against top-tier component opponent. Um, I, I know they destroyed the Panthers. They've had a couple other routes, but given everything, primetime game, um, coming off the Seattle loss, a couple of games versus Arizona that they, they ended up winning, but the defense didn't look great. This was a complete an absolute dominant performance. Yeah, this was a huge statement win for them. As we talked about, they're entering this stretch where they're playing three teams coming into tonight, the Packers, who are all 8-2. First time that's ever happened in NFL history this late in the season. So this was a huge stretch for the 49ers, and the public and the money was all on the Green Bay. is over 60% each way there. So a lot of people thought Packers were going to come in and win this game outright. And the 49ers' defense last three weeks has came down to earth a little bit, the games versus Arizona and Seattle. But tonight, they stepped up and really got the game started right away, like you mentioned, the fumble. And they punched it in right there. 
And as you also mentioned, the offense was kind of sluggish. It felt like they should have been up more than 13 nothing prior to the two-minute warning. But that's what great teams do. The defense carried them for most of the first half. And then the offense was able to punch it in for 10 points quickly at the end of the first half, give them a big lead. The, then the second half comes out. The Packers have the long touchdown drive. And the 49ers answer on a two-play 60-yard uh, touchdown to George Kittle. So getting the balance on both sides. The defense was awesome. They only had 81 passing yards. The Packers did include it, like, factoring in the sacks. The rush offense for the Packers didn't do much. They only – they averaged four yards to carry, but I feel like some of that was garbage time on that last drive. So that was the one weakness of the 49ers defense, or rush D. But they came to play. Rodgers was rattled all night. So this was a great win. Jimmy G was really solid, 14-20. to 20. 253 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers, which is always great for him and the 49ers offense. And I think you have to tip your cap to Shanahan a lot because he made a pretty, what I would say is ballsy move. They have Justin School and left tackle filling in for Joe Staley. He was struggling early with Zadarius Smith on the Packers. He brings in Daniel Brunskill, another backup offense lineman, and that kind of swung the game, I feel like. Yeah, the uh, the two Smiths were having their way with the 49ers early in this game. It seemed like every time Jimmy G got the ball, they were like in his lap, kind of similar to what we saw with Clowney on that Monday night football game. But, yeah, give Shanahan credit. The place he draws up... I mean, Kittle was so wide open on that touchdown um, and just their their ability, I think, from late in the first half on to just like kind of put their foot on the gas pedal was something you love to see, especially Packers score on that long drive. It's 23 to eight. You're doing the math. It's like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, and they just fight back so quickly with the long touchdown. And I mean, Kittle, Kittle looked great for someone who. Rumor has it had a broken bone in his ankle and something going on with his knee. He showed no signs of, of injury at all. So 49ers easily cover the minus three. The over um, did not hit. I think betters were hoping for a late uh, touchdown there with the backup quarterback. Who I don't even know what was his name. Tim, Tim, Tim Boyle. Boyle. Tim Boyle. He went three for four, so good for Tim Boyle. Um, but, yeah, 49ers. Roll making this segment a little bit easier, but Grandpa Billy's bum of the week. Let's wrap it up with that. Tyler, who is your bum? Yeah, I want to make one last point on Kittle. Like his impact on the offense cannot be understated. The run game, which had been struggling coming into this game, got back on track, and it's all centered around Kittle's blocking ability and the attention he draws in the pass game. This might be like a super homer take, but he he's not going to win MVP. He shouldn't be in the top three, but he should get some votes because his impact to the team, to the offense, is paramount, and it really changes everything they do. So wanted to get that in there. Right, quick plug, plug for George. Yeah, but my grandpa Billy's bum of the week is Oregon. Um, they lost last night to Arizona State 31-28 to at Arizona State. It feels like since Herm Edwards has gotten there, all they do is win these games are top 25 teams. They beat Michigan State last year and this year, which was an upset at the time. Now they beat Oregon. They knocked them out of the college football playoff. And this game, Arizona State was kind of dominating. Justin Herbert played terribly through back-to-back interceptions in the second half, which really put them in a hole. They were down 24-7. to And then in a blink of an eye, Oregon scores two touchdowns in under a minute to cut it to a three-point game. They get a sack. They have third and Arizona State is third and 16 on their own uh, 19. Oregon has a chance to get the ball back and potentially win the game. And they give up an 81-yard touchdown. They're only blitz three. They're playing, you know, loose coverage just to prevent a first down. And somehow the cornerback gets blitzed. They get 
gets beat they give up an 81 yard touchdown end up losing the game like how does that happen especially a team that is fighting to get into the college football playoff they need it to win out so they're done it feels like the pac-12 oregon got in the first year they did the playoff but the pac-12 is gonna have a really hard chance of ever getting in it feels like and they completely blew their shot last night so that's my grandpa billy's bum of the week to give up a third and 16 81 yard touchdown in such a critical moment in a critical game is embarrassing it, it was embarrassing and uh, tough for us since we had Oregon live and it had legs. We, we got excited. It was third and 16. And then next thing you know, you get the uh, Yahoo Sports update, uh, Arizona State touchdown. So not great there. Um, my grandpa Billy's bum of the week. I went back and forth between a couple different candidates, but I think I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles just generally. I was kind of debating between them and uh, Jason Garrett, but I just think we, we spoke about it briefly earlier, but this team came in with all the hype in the world. I think Wentz was under 10 to 1 odds to win the MVP at the start of the season. People kind of had them as a consensus, one of the top teams in the NFC. And they had their chances the past couple of weeks to kind of prove their mettle against some of the tougher opponents in the NFL. And to only score 19 points is just absolutely pathetic. I think Doug Peterson is kind of renowned as this offensive genius for what he did with Nick Foles a couple of years ago. But Quite frankly, we have not seen it um, in the past couple weeks, and I think they do have the benefit of the doubt their schedule gets easier, but to come out this uninspired in a big game, big spot versus Seattle, a team that has been the talk of the town, Russell Wilson, MVP candidate, to only put up nine points is absolutely pathetic. So there, my grandpa Billy's bum of the week. It hits extra close to home because even just knowing like the 49ers tonight was a big win, but like that Seattle last game of the season just kind of like hangs over the head of, of all of this. Um, and we need them to stumble and the Eagles did not do their part because they're one of the potential roadblocks on that schedule and they, they did not show up at all. Definitely. And especially in a game that, I mean, Seattle's still playing for the division, the one seed. So it's an important game for them, but just the way the Eagles season's going, I felt like this was, they were the more desperate team coming into this game, especially the way the offense played last week. And it's not like Seattle's defense is world beaters. They're very average, middle of the pack. And Jadavion Clowney didn't even play in this game. So they had a lot going for them. I know they have some injuries, but like at some point, that's not an excuse. Every team has injuries in the NFL. To only put up nine points at home versus a team that's coming from west to east right. early game. And it just feels like this team reads the press clippings a lot like coming into the year they're so hyped up and just haven't lived up to it Carson Wentz has not been impressive at all I'm so tired of hearing how good he is and all this and that and you know they still might get in the playoffs the NFC East is terrible and their schedule is super weak so they're gonna have a chance but I'm just so tired of this team they're so annoying the Philly special last year it's all that was talked about they have a statue now they do have a statue um they got rid of Foles, and I think it's a fair question to ask, did they get rid of the wrong guy? Because this offense with Foles, even last year, I know Wentz was coming back from the injury, but they were better last year once Foles yeah, came in at the end of the year. Game. Yeah. So the, the style of play of Foles might be better than Wentz. Um, and this team is kind of running out of time to figure it out because uh, there's only five games left. Yeah, and I mean, even the nine points is kind of deceiving. It was really three. It was a garbage time touchdown with 20 seconds to go. So pathetic performance from them as a short home favorite. Um, they suck, but hey, 49ers won. Lock of the week was a cakewalk. Good week for us. Good week overall. Um, so we'll be back 
with the Pick'em Pod this week. Thanksgiving games coming up. So look out for that. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.